The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she's the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Hello and welcome to Love Wizards Meeting, reading and praying with Julian of Norwich, and we're ready to start into chapter 18 of the showings, uh, the revelations of divine love. A reminder that we're in this, six, this uh, section from uh, chapter 16 to 21 uh, about a, a very um, graphic vision of uh, the crucifixion. Uh, today is a bit of a respite. Uh, it's more of a reflection on um, uh, in, in the middle of all this, uh, so it doesn't have as much graphic imagery, but just to let people know that's kind of where we are uh, in the middle of these revelations. But before we get to uh, Julian, let's start with our office, the links of which can be found in both the in the description for both the live stream and the podcast. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let's say Psalm 61 together. Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. I call upon you from the ends of the earth with heaviness in my heart. Set me upon the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I will dwell in your house forever. I will take refuge under the cover of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have granted me the heritage of those who fear your name. Add length of days to the king's life. Let his ears extend over many generations. Let him sit enthroned before God forever. Bid love and faithfulness watch over him. So will I always sing the praise of your name. And day by day I will fulfill my vows. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let us say together a prayer of Julian. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always be in want, for only in you have I all. Amen. So we'll continue with chapter 18 of the Revelations. Here I saw part of the compassion of Our Lady St. Mary for Christ, and she were so wanted in love that the magnitude of her love caused the magnitude of her pain. In this I saw the essence of natural love extended by grace which creatures have for him, and this natural love was most fulsomely shown in his sweet mother, and even more, for insomuch as she loved him more than all others, her pain surpassed all others. For ever the higher, the mightier, the sweeter that the love is, the more sorrow it is to the lover to see that body which is beloved in pain. And all his disciples and all his true lovers suffered more pains than their own bodily dying, for I am certain by my own experience that the least of them loved him so far above himself that it surpasses all that I can say. Here I saw a great warning between Christ and us, as I understand it, for when he was in pain, we were in pain. 
and all created things that could suffer pain suffered with him, that is to say, all created things that God has made for our service. The firmament and the earth failed for sorrow in their nature at the time of Christ's dying, for it belongs naturally to their character to know him for their God in whom all their strength is situated. When he failed, then it was necessary for them out of nature to fail with him as much as they could out of sorrow for his pains, and thus they were they that were his, his friends suffered pain for love. And universally all, that is to say, they that knew him not, suffered because of the failing of all manner of comfort, except the mighty hidden protection of God. I mean two manner of folk, as it can be understood by two persons. The one was Pilate, the other was St. Denis of France, who was at the time a pagan. For when he saw the wonders and marvels, the sorrows and fears that happened at that time, he said, Either the world is now at an end, or else he that is maker of nature is suffering. Wherefore he did write on an altar, This is the altar of the unknown God. God out of his goodness creates the planets and the elements in their nature to work for both the blessed man and the cursed, and at that time that goodness was withdrawn from both of them. It was for that reason that even those who knew him not were in sorrow at that time. Thus was our Lord God, Jesus debased because of us, and we all stand in this kind of debasement with him, and shall do until we come to his bliss, as I shall say later. So, beloved, after this, uh, uh, this, this vision of, very vivid vision of Jesus on the cross, then she's given a vision of the, uh, she sees a part of the compassion of Our Lady St. Mary. And I think it's important to, to note that this, this chapter is largely her personal reflection back upon this whole thing. So she's, as opposed to being given a vision, in many ways she's getting a, um, uh, doing a personal theological reflection on the stuff that has come before. Because she's already had a vision of St. Mary, Mary earlier. Um, but she's reflecting back on that compassion of, of St. Mary, that she and Christ were so one-ed, and that's the, the um, term that Julian uses all the time, talking about humanity and God wanted, made one, in love, that the magnitude of her love caused the magnitude of her pain. Uh, she says a little bit later on here, Forever the higher, the mightier, the sweeter that the love is, the more sorrow it is to the lover to see that that body which is beloved in pain. And this goes back to what I what we talked about in the last chapter, uh, this idea of love creates connection, and so when love sees the person suffering, it also causes pain. This is the, the conundrum uh, that you find throughout uh, human literature of the idea of um, we are drawn to make attachment as human beings, we are drawn to love, but when we love, we enter into a relationship that will eventually end in pain, or at least have pain in it. You know, uh, the the choice to love, the choice to be vulnerable to somebody um, always has that element of at some point it, it ends, at least the earthly part of it ends, um, and or or we, we suffer suffering and we have to watch that beloved in pain, and that's difficult. But yet that's part of who we are. What, of, what Julian is saying here is this is, this is part of who we are. Uh, this is what we're, we're designed to do, um, is, is to, to love. And when we love, uh, sorrow and, and pain come along with that. Uh, it's kind of a wise way of doing this. And once again, as I said with the last chapter, it kind of indicates that um, Julian may be reflecting back on her own experience with the Black Death and losing some or several very important people to her during that time. Because this, this comes in, despite it being in very courteous language, it comes through very raw. This is something that's very, very personal to Julian.
Um, and then we move on from that idea that not not only are is is are those that love him in pain, but because all creation is created in in Jesus, and because all of creation is like the the hazelnut in God's hand. You know, we have that early on and famous illustration of of Julian that everything that it is is like a, a hazelnut in in God's hand. Because of that, all of nature fails with him. So when when Jesus dies on the cross, all of nature is affected. It's not just humanity. It's not just those that love him. It's everybody, everything, everything in the creation. And we get some allusion to that out of the um, the the accounts in Luke and Matthew, where there's a um, uh, an eclipse and an earthquake when Jesus dies. You know that idea that that that's not just dramatic stuff. That that's a theological idea that that creation recognizes the one that created it hanging on the cross. Um, so, and, and in medieval mystics, they, they especially like Bridget of Sweden, they go into a, a whole long um, idea of, of looking at all the different ways that creation suffered at the time of Christ's death in an imaginative way, in a visionary way. Um, and it's, a, it's a, an imaginative way to enter into uh, the effect of the death of God upon the cross. Um, we move down a little bit further here, and she talks about the failing of all manner of comfort uh, for two manners of folks. Uh, one was Pilate, and the other is St. Denis of France. And uh, John Julian has an actual complete appendix on this, this question about uh, Pilate and what he says, Dionysius the Areopagite, which is where, where we're identifying Denis there. The first is Pilate. So this is the person who judges Jesus uh, before his crucifixion. Um, and the Christian tradition out, you know, outside of the Bible, very little, we've, we've got the, 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 the synoptic gospels that talk about Pilate. There's the, uh, and then there's John and John paints a, a much more sympathetic picture of Pilate. Um, and part of people talk about, you know, why, why, why do the gospels paint Pilate differently? It may be that by the time John was written, uh, the church and the synagogue were becoming estranged. So it became, um, John was more likely to attribute problem to quote the Jews, which is a problem we have dealt with ever since in Christian anti-Semitism. Um, and to, uh, because by that time Christianity was starting to be a little bit more accepted in parts of the empire to kind of play down the role of Jesus being judged by the civil authorities uh, so that it, it was more palatable to people in the empire. Uh, you have to remember that um, only traitors were, were, um, were crucified. So therefore, actually, the fact that Jesus was crucified was a big barrier to people picking up the faith um, in, the, in the Roman Empire. And the symbol of the cross wasn't actually used by Christians for, for, um, for centuries until after crucifixion had stopped being a common method of execution because it, it caused so many problems. People had a hard time getting past the idea that anybody who was crucified could be a god. Uh, not just because they're human, but because that's what you did to traitors. Um, so Pilate is, there There are all these stories about Pilate in both Eastern and Western tradition. Um, many of the Eastern traditions kind of make Pilate an unwilling participant who tries best to protect or free Jesus. Um, in the medieval Western church, though, there there are these ideas, I'm going to kind of go through this idea that comes from the Golden Legend, which was a, a an extra-biblical source published in 1260, um, that basically says that Tiberius, the Roman emperor, was seriously ill and he heard of Jesus in Palestine. 
Uh, so he sent an envoy into Palestine to instruct Pilate to send Jesus to Rome, but J Pilate had already crucified Jesus. So therefore, Pilate was frightened uh, and met um, the and met Veronica, who is the person who put the veil on Jesus and then pulled it off, and there was the miraculous image of Jesus. So um, the the story is is that the that um, Veronica and the uh, legate go to Rome, and the emperor's health is restored. And then the the emperor is so angry at having crucified Jesus that he brings Pilate to Rome. But Pilate had brought Jesus's seamless robe and wore it before the emperor. And uh, when the emperor learned of the trick, he had Pilate stripped and then condemned him to a shameful death. And then Pilate uh, committed suicide. And then there's a whole story about what happens when his body is thrown into the Tiber. You know, this uh, a story I had never heard of before studying this stuff before, because it's it's kind of this part of this imaginative medieval way of trying to get into the idea of, of the crucifixion and all the events around the crucifixion and kind of strip every last piece of meaning that you can out of a story that is pretty sparse uh, in the gospels. Um, so um, when she's talking, when he's talking, when they're talking about Pilate, um, it has to do with the fact that he suffers, um, you know, in the Western tradition, eventually commits suicide uh, be because of um, what what had happened to Jesus, and then this uh, Saint Denis of France is actually a, in medieval thought is a conflation of three people. There's uh, Dionysius the Areopagite that's referred to the in the Acts of the Apostles, who was a convert of Paul. There's Saint Denis of France, who's the patron saint of France, and that but he was around 250 A.D. And then there's an anonymous sixth century mystical, mystical theologian. Uh, who wrote under the pseudonym of Dionysius the Areopagite. So medieval historians generally conflated the three of these people. Um, and she's also taken in this story uh, that, uh, you know, there's a story of Paul preaching in the, uh, in the Areopagus. And so there's a one thing that he does is he finds this altar that's inscribed to an unknown god and says, "Look, the god that you didn't uh, you made uh, the altar you made an unknown god to is the god I proclaim. It's it's Jesus Christ crucified is the unknown god that you made this altar." So she kind of pulls in this idea of Dionysius the Areopagite conversion converter Paul, the person who wrote this on the altar. That's why we have that down a little bit earlier. Is wherefore he did write on an altar. This is the altar of the unknown god. Part of the medieval uh, medieval imagination, bringing this all and making it a rich story that has an underlying meaning behind it, um, making myth in the best sense of kind of the Joseph Campbell sense of of the the deep truths of a society or a group being brought forth in its um, story making. Um, so. Um, this is, I think, certainly what's going on with Julian there. And I, I don't think we have to, as moderns, say, well, there's no value in this just simply because it's probably not historically correct. I think in, in some ways, it we learn much more about our faith if we enter into that imagination fully. And it's for that reason that God creates, this is some beautiful language here, God of his goodness creates the planets and the elements and their nature to work for both the blessed man and the cursed. So God is so um, gracious and has so much goodness that God creates the planets and the elements and everything in nature to work for us, whether we accept God or not. You know, that there's that, that gift that God is giving to humanity and our response has an effect as far as what happens to us um, some during our during our lives and, and definitely for Julian what happens after we die. But 
it's all created for our, for for goodness, whether we believe or not. And it's for that reason that even those who knew him not were in sorrow at that time. So that'll end us for chapter 18. Um, thank you for joining me in that. It's a very interesting chapter. It allowed me to get into some some um, some medieval uh, medieval legend that I had not read before, and that was pretty delightful. Let us continue with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I ask your prayers for those on our parish prayer list. And I bid your prayers either silently or aloud. Let us say together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. Uh, next time we meet, we'll go into chapter and in, uh, chapter 19. Um, just a note for those of you who are uh, listening to this in real time as opposed to um, uh, delayed on the podcast. Uh, next week I will be at an ecumenical conference, so we will not have uh, this on Tuesday and Thursday. So uh, this will resume, gosh, today is the 10th. So this will actually resume on the 22nd uh, of February. Uh, for those of you who are listening later on, uh, you may not even notice that just moving from one to another. I'll put up a little reminder um, episode on the podcast uh, for people next week. Uh, but until uh, we're, we're back together again, reading from Julian, uh, it's good to, uh, to have you here. Um, do everything that's required to keep yourself and others safe during this pandemic. Until I see you again, God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.